I'm so thankful for um, friends and coworkers in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for a Bible college right next to our campus here that trains young people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have a faculty and staff of godly people and passionate about God's word. And this morning we could hear from one of them, Tom Meyer. Uh, Tom spends his time diligently pouring into the students, but that's not the only ministry he has. In the summers, he, he basically uproots his whole family and they head out to uh, the Ark Encounter. But they head out there in the summer and he quotes God's word and teaches all summer to thousands of people that come in here and they go to the Ark Encounter. Um, well, as I mentioned before, we have been talking regularly in almost every one of our studies about the sufficiency of the word. Loving the word, memorizing the word, meditating on the word. And so when, when Tom approached Chuck and the rest of us as an elder team to come this morning, we said, yes, let us hear from the word. And so he has committed uh, most, a large portion of the Bible, I'm sure he'll, he'll share with this with us, to memory. And he'll just quote this. So this morning he is going to quote for us the book of James and then bring practical application uh, to this book. So as I already prayed, I hope your hearts have been prepared. Well, what I'd like to do for the sermon is the following, is I'd like to make a few uh, introductory comments to the book of James, and then second, I'd like to speak the book of James from memory, and also drop in Genesis chapter 22 when he references it in chapter 2, you'll know when. And then after that, with whatever time we have remaining, we want to work verse by verse. Do we do verse by verse here? Is that okay? Yeah? We're going to work verse by verse through a section some applications, something we can pick up and run out the doors with, all right? The book of James, as some of you know, was probably the first book ever written in the New Testament. It was written a long, long time ago in a land far, far away, uh, the other side of the world, uh, 2,000 years ago. And uh, James was um, a Galilee boy. He lived, I had the privilege of living in the Holy Land for four years or so. I did a couple of master's degrees there. So I met my wife. She did a, a semester abroad from Minnesota and flew out, and we met on Mount Zion 11 years ago this week, which is pretty cool. And, um, but when you're there in the world of the Bible, you can kind of get these windows into the past and kind of, you know, touch and feel and smell and walk the places where Jesus walked, and you get a real better vibe for what's going on in the pages of the text. And so James is his Galilee boy. He lives in this international, open, liberal, do we know anything about that? Yes? This open, international, liberal kind of area. And, um, and uh, as you know, he really doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah right away. You know, it takes a little while to believe that your brother <laughs> is the son of God. And, uh, but he comes around to it, doesn't he? And, um, and he ends up becoming one of the pastors, the leaders, the elders, the teachers, pillars of the faith in what are called the churches of Judea the churches of Judea, and, um, and the people in the pew that he's writing to that we'll soon hear, um, on the one hand, they do not, on the one hand, do not have a lot in common with us, on the one hand. Like I said, 2,000 years later, other side of the world, other language, other culture, other mannerisms, other form of government, I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. Uh, they lived in a hot, dusty, bloody, illegal, persecuted, on-the-run religion, we have, not that there's anything wrong with it, you have padded pews and PowerPoint and orange mocha frappuccinos and gluten-free cupcakes in the back and all these kind of fluffy, nice things, you know. 
These people don't have that. I mean, it's tough. It's a hard Knox world that these people live in. And it's a tremendous struggle with all of the pressures and t- temptations of the world and et cetera. And, it's, and, and that's where we can... But on the one hand, we do have a lot in common. We have the same Lord. We have the same scriptures, who's today, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We have the same power of the Holy Spirit. We have the same gospel. So really, not a lot has changed. So we can really relate to these people when we hear this letter. These people lived in a world where there was political and geopolitical stability. Things were just about to crack. The Roman Empire stranglehold on the province of Judea was getting tighter and tighter, and things were not going good. People are just eagerly anticipating Christ to return. You said you would come quickly, and it's been 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> where are you? And so not much has changed, like I said. The same teaching, the same instruction, the same application that he's given to these people, how to live in the last days, is just the same for us today. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have our perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall soon pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to those that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a natural man, beholding his face in a mirror, for he beholds himself. 
and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, to keep himself unspotted from the world. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothing and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, hath God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those that love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you? And drag you into courts? Do not they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? For if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed of the body. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Don't you remember when Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God? And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, cut the wood for the burnt offering, and they rose up and went on to the place which God had told them of. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide you here with the donkeys. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father... And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told them of. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, Behold, here am I. He said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. It's all true. Do you see that faith is working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then, that a man is justified by works. Not by faith only. 
Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, my brethren. Not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, and we turn about their whole bodies, and they obey us. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small rudder wherever the captain desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Every kind of beast, birds, serpents, things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed to mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil Deadly poison. With it we bless God, even the Father. And with it we curse men. Which are made after the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain yield both salt, water, and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitterness envy and strife in your heart, and you glory not, and you lie against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above is for us pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to yield, Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them which make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure which war in your members? You lust and do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain your fight and war yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, you adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain the spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Then you would be a doer of the law, not a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, well, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers which mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in pleasure, luxury. You have fattened your heart as in a day of slaughter. You've condemned. You've murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. 
You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another, brethren, that you might be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. The heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who converts the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Oh, come on, people. Give me an amen. amen. All right. How about one more? Amen. All right. Well, we've got, what time are we done here? I forgot. 11.30? Thank you, Corey. If anyone, 11.30? 15 minutes, that's it. Okay, 15 minutes. Here we go, ready? You will be out on time. The roast will not burn. I promise we'll be out in 15. So what we want to do is we want to go to chapter 5 and start in verse number 7. But how we should think, how we should, by the way, isn't it different when you hear the word of God like that? It's so much better, isn't it? It's like, not that I'm Mozart, but it's like reading Mozart versus hearing Mozart. Like you could read Mozart on the page all day long and you'd be like, ooh, ah, but that sounds nice, you know? But then when you hear it played, it's just like, wow, it's true. Amen. Verse 7, how should we think how we should practice while we wait for Jesus to come back? Verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains. Pause. A lot of the people in the pew James is talking to are shepherd, goat, farmer, sheep kind of people. It's a real agrarian society. So he's using an illustration or an application that would have made perfect sense to them. In other words, what he's saying is the following is while we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come back to the clouds, shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. While you wait for that, you're supposed to think of yourself as a farmer, as a farmer. That's the illustration. 
Just like a farmer wakes up early every morning before the sun comes up, just like the farmer busts his hump, tilling that land, sowing that seed, that farmer does everything that he can possibly do within his own power to receive the blessing of the precious fruit, and it's called precious because it's his family's livelihood. He does everything that he can do to receive the blessing of the precious fruit, and then what does he have to do? He has to wait for something that's outside of his control. Rain. He has to wait for the rain. So too, he's saying, wherever he has you, raising your kids, homeschooling your kids, pastor of the church, retired in your community, your job working at Shasta County with a bunch of crazy people, you know, wherever God has you, I happen to have a larger field to work in than everyone else here just because of the nature of how God has gifted us. But whatever that field is, he's saying, you need to double down. You need to triple down. You need to start getting really, really serious about what you're doing to make the greatest mark you can on the world for God's glory because he is coming quickly. We don't, we don't like we went in Sunday school, we don't think like that. We do good things. You know, we got a wana on Wednesday night, ladies' Bible study on Thursday, going grocery shopping at Trader Joe's on Friday, taking the kids to Rare Air on Saturday, church on Sunday, this on Monday, bing, bong, bing, all these kind of things, which are good, but we don't, we don't think like, oh my goodness, what if he really did come today? My mom died a couple years ago. She was young and pretty, only 61, finally got grandkids, <laughs> you know. And then on her birthday, she wasn't feeling well. She couldn't hold food down. They took her to the doctor. I'm sorry, Deborah, but you have stage four inoperable liver cancer, and you'll be dead by Christmas. Now she, that's, I mean, you do whatever you can do. You call for the elders of the church. You pray for him. They did everything they could. They took her to a Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. They literally sold the farm, sold the hot rods, Beautiful 1969 Dodge Super B with a Hemi engine. I mean, like a really awesome. Gone. Got to pay for my wife's cancer bill, right? Let's get our priorities straight here. Gone. Everything gone. And she died. But you know what? Even though she was saved for the longest time, like all of us probably, or for many years, even though she was great, when you know... When you know any day between now and Christmas, thou shalt stand before the living God and shall be judged according to the law of liberty, you begin to get serious, don't you? You begin to, like, focus because you know it's coming. It's inevitable. And you want to hear, well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom which I prepared for you. That's what you want to hear. And that's how James is saying it. we should think and we should practice as we wait for him to come in the last days. Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient. What else are you supposed to do while you're out in the field working wherever you're working? At the mission, at the school, at the church, in the home, wherever. You're supposed to establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What's that mean? Establish your heart. What does that mean? Has anyone seen in person Mount Rushmore? guys got to get out more. You've seen it in the movies, right? And in the pictures. Okay. Now, do you know how those presidents, like, are not blinking, right? 
Do you know how their gaze is fixed? Right? That's the sense of the word. So what he's saying is while you're out there doing what you're doing for God, you take the part of you that's most important between you and God, your heart. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Lord looks on the heart. And your heart is so important to him, that's why he tells you to hide his word in your heart so you don't sin against him. That's a different story. <laughs> a totally different story. But a story that needs to be told, right? So with the part of you that's most important between you and God, you have this laser-like focus. When things aren't going your way, when things are going sideways, you know, you, what do you do? You don't throw in the towel. You don't change lanes. You don't leave the church. You don't move to another church. You don't forget, just, I'm done. No, you stick with it. You establish it. You stay with him because he's not going to give up on you. You establish your heart. You keep it locked on him with doing the best you can with what you've got until he returns because the coming of the Lord is at hand. That means it's not some distant, far time away in infinity and beyond. It's getting closer and closer and closer to the consummation of all things. And then finally, one last thing he tells us to do. That's what you're supposed to do out there in the field. What are you supposed to do, as it were, in the, in the, within the four walls of this church? In the next verse. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. That word for grumble means a bitter resentment. A bitter resentment that manifests itself in your words and in your works towards another Christian. Can you believe that there's some Christians who don't like each other? <laughs> Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Well, why shouldn't I be like that? Why shouldn't I tear down one another? Why shouldn't I slander him? Why shouldn't I gossip him? I don't like him. If he's not going to apologize to me, then I'm not going to apologize to him. Why shouldn't we be like that? It tells us. I don't even know what it exactly it means, but it's not good. Lest he be condemned. Do you want to be condemned? Of course not. That's why you're here. Then you better put right what went wrong with whoever you're at odds with. Now. Because he's at, like he just said, he's at the door. 